Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Welcome to Naked Reflections, brought to you from the Wolf Institute. I'm Ed Kessler, and each week I'll be taking an in-depth look at the stories reported by our friends over at the Naked Scientists. What does the latest scientific stuff mean for the rest of us? Stay with us and find out. Hello and welcome to Naked Reflections. It's widely agreed that the asylum system in the UK is not working with damaging effects across society, not just for asylum seekers and refugees. The previous Home Secretary even admitted it was broken. And this is the reason why a new independent commission on the integration of refugees has been convened by the Wolf Institute and is being launched this week. It will spend the next 18 months consulting with asylum seekers, refugees, third sector workers, lawyers, health clinicians, yes, yes, on and on I could go, as well as politicians and policymakers. Why? In order to seek improvements to the refugee and asylum system and to offer practical solutions. It sounded like such a good idea that this edition of Naked Reflections will consider how, in what has become a febrile environment, a broken asylum system can be fixed. But is it realistic to find common ground in such a toxic atmosphere? Is it even possible for everyone, not only refugees, to feel welcome and integrated? And does doing the right thing for refugees mean that wider society loses? I'd like to think this isn't a zero-sum game, and here's Lieselot Linkso taking an upbeat view on The Naked Scientist show, Life in the Year 2100. If you look out of the window right now, we have refugee crisis, we have environmental crisis, we have so many people who need a better quality of life, we don't have enough water. There is so many jobs out there. So I, I think it's so sad to look at these young people who are scared of entering the labor market because they hear the robots are coming and they won't be needed. You know, they are needed like never before, but it's a different kind of perspective. New jobs are going to be created. With me to discuss the asylum system and the integration of refugees are two of its distinguished commissioners. Jahangir Malik from Birmingham, Director of Policy and Engagement at Mercy Mission UK, who has wide experience in civil society and faith-based leadership. Joining Jahangir is Janice Lepatkin, UK Programme Director of the World Jewish Relief, who's also Chair of Trustees of the Refugee Employment Network. 
welcome both. Jahangir, there are many factors underpinning the successful integration of refugees. What would you think is the most important? Fundamentally, I think the framing of the understanding of refugees and, and, and asylum seekers as human beings, as people of dignity, as people just like ourselves, that we can relate to on an everyday level is a really critical way of understanding. I think this toxic nature of the way people fleeing from floods, war, climate change, conflict. I've been a humanitarian for pretty much of my life and seen sort of what they are fleeing from in disasters and war zones and conflict. And it really does take a huge amount for them to leave such circumstances and then to arrive on our shores here. We continue our long tradition. My parents came as economic migrants in the 60s, faced very difficult times in the 70s. So I think that really integrating uh, refugees and asylum seekers into our system, providing them an understanding of UK life, uh, civil society organisations, community-based organisations, being productive within the society, I think will enable them to have a better understanding of uh, UK life. And um, some things as simple as language. He also touched on something which I would like to tease out because I've struggled with this, uh, Jahangir, which is the difference. And I think there is a difference between economic migrants... You mentioned your parents as economic migrants um, and refugees and asylum seekers. And we're struggling with this on the commission. Maybe struggle is not quite the right word, grappling with this on the commission, because there is a difference. And I don't know how we unpack it. Now, there are you as a community and faith leader in Birmingham, uh, where the commission is being launched, actually. And there's a large community of economic migrants, uh, first generation, second generation like yourself. But there is a difference, isn't there? between the two categories, and we need to tease that out because it gets confused, doesn't it? I know it's not the same, but they, they did not start working. They worked damn hard uh, right throughout day and night, almost seven days a week, to ensure that they were being productive, that they were providing, and that they were not sitting idly. Something that can make a significant difference is employment, um, because it is both integration for the employer the community but also integration obviously um, for refugees um, and in addition importantly it gives people in terms of the, the work and the employment it has to be decent work and it has to be suitable and it has to be sustainable these are people looking for work these are people who want to work but people don't necessarily if they worked in the bank of ukraine um, as a board member do not want to be offered cleaning jobs they need they need to be able to find suitable and sustainable work so I'm not suggesting that any work um, will provide a whole range of integration support around it. It won't necessarily, and we have to be quite discerning and supportive. There are a full range of jobs that can offer you the opportunity to meet people, be part of your community, to practice your English, to use your skills, to use your qualifications and your experience. And I think it's all about giving people dignity um, and dignity to re rebuild their lives you know, people, because of their circumstance, have had to move and suddenly everything they've done before is considered to be um, not necessarily relevant. 
we have a fundamental issue at this moment in time of employment and a labour shortage. Now, you will not fix that labour shortage by framing the debate in the current context of good migrant, bad migrant, good economic migrants that we need and help us build, rebuild our country, which I guess was the case in the in the 50s and the 60s, and now um, bad uh, refugees and asylum seekers that are coming in that we do not want in this place. And so if we frame the debate as you know, people that we welcome into the country and people that we don't welcome into the country, that's not going to be a healthy way of looking at uh, the current situation. Over the last 25 years, I've been involved in various humanitarian crises around the world. And sadly, a lot of the uh, movement of people and the migration is due to the wars and the conflicts occurring at um, horrific levels in various parts of the world, from Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq. I have worked in these settings and the vast majority of the refugees are settling in neighboring countries, absolute overwhelming majority settling in Turkey, in Lebanon and, and the likes. Uh, and the very few uh, that are able to may make way across the lands into mainland Europe and into the UK. The question I would like to ask is that what kind of nation do we want to be? And what kind of understanding and and welcome kind of nation do we want to be when people who have fled desperate situation arrive onto our shores? It's a funny contradiction, isn't it? Or is it a contradiction? You know, political commentary has revolved around preventing this rapid increase in the number of boat crossings. I mean, it's all over the news. Politicians are all talking about it. And yet, in comparison with the million uh, Syrians in Jordan, for example, and the 5 million Syrians in Turkey, those neighbouring countries, we have 20,000 or so in the UK. You mentioned your parents. Both my parents came as as refugees before the war from from Austria, fleeing the Nazis. And uh, throughout the 20th century, the British public has shown itself to be generous in in welcoming refugees uh, and asylum seekers and displaced people. So there's a funny old contradiction there, isn't there? I think it's perception rather than toxic. I think it's a perception that people fall into that if you're a refugee and that can often be, you know, you have no agency, you have no qualifications. And even if you do have them, they're not transferable here. I think it, it's it's lack of knowledge and us promoting um, and really celebrating the skills and experience that refugees have and have always had when coming to the UK. This is not new. This is something that we know a range of communities have brought to the UK and we should and we often do celebrate. Um, I think what's toxic is the image of a refugee and the image of a, an asylum seeker. It's not really the reality of what people bring. I think there is a bit of a split around perception um, and maybe some some of the views that we may have in the media about um, people coming over um, and seeking asylum and questioning that to actually the reality when people are meeting, working, supporting refugees. Money um, is being spent and rightly to support asylum seekers, but it's not doing a very good job. It's too little. People want to work. They want to be active whilst they wait to go through the asylum process. And actually, we will be solving so many issues as we go through the system, because all you're doing is is you're piling up and causing more mental health issues, health issues, um, family issues, where actually people could be working. There could be a process where there is work. 
I mean, even now, asylum seekers can, some asylum seekers can work. Well, I don't really see why some can on a very long list of um, selected professions. It just doesn't make any sense. You need the will to do it. You need the will to allow people to be self-sufficient. And actually, in most other countries, asylum seekers are allowed to work. And in fact, asylum seekers were allowed to work in the UK maybe 20 years ago. It's political. And I think we need to recognise that. And we need to be able to put some really sensible processes and policies in place for asylum seekers to work. Uh, you were right, uh, because it was under the Labour government, interestingly enough, that um, asylum seekers were uh, taken off, as it were, the right to work. Could you briefly summarise what the law is at the moment? Well, you are not allowed to work until you get your refugee status, unless you, or you're indefinitely to remain. You are not allowed to work as, a, as an asylum seeker. There are some professions where an asylum seeker can work for a limited amount of time, but it is, it is restrictive. It is aimed to be restrictive. That's a punitive system. It doesn't support people fleeing and looking for sanctuary in the UK. And actually, everyone understands the rule of law and that you have to go through a legal process. That legal process is too long. You know, if people are here, we've got a, a crisis at the moment in terms of employment. I know there are various predictions into the future, but I can assure you now people are looking for staff. They cannot find the staff. And actually, if you said to an asylum seeker for six months or a year or whilst you go through your process, you will be able to work. I think that's a win-win for everybody. This is Naked Reflections with me, Ed Kessler. To mark the launch of the UK Commission on the Integration of Refugees, I'm discussing the asylum system with two of its commissioners, Jahangir Malik and Janice Lepatkin. We're all happy to see the relatively generous European response to Ukrainian refugees in the UK and throughout Europe. But there is a nagging feeling that Syrians fleeing the civil war a few years earlier were not so warmly welcomed. Here's the sociologist Grace Davies' observations on the Naked Reflection show Believing and Belonging. All over Europe, I'm beginning to see new configurations that, that worry me considerably. It comes in different forms in different places, but the common theme is the dominant religion, which is Christian in Europe. I mean, the more belief drops out of it, the more that you are losing belief or becoming more secular, it's laying itself open to be used negatively. In other words, as a bulwark against mostly Islam. So Jahangir Grace expressed some anxiety. I think this sort of tension between what's often perceived as Christian Europe with the Muslim East. And you and I both know this is not only uh, simplistic, but also false. But nevertheless, in some parts of Europe, I'm thinking of Hungary and Poland, for example, uh, there's a great emphasis on national identity being uh, associated with uh, Christian identity. Do you think there was a difference in the way that we, in general, treated Syrian refugees in comparison with Ukrainians? Or is that overblown in the, the sort of media hype that we live in today? You know, a human life is a human life and anybody fleeing uh, war and conflict should be recognised that they are in desperate, difficult circumstances. And, you know, I, I come back to our sort of my uh, faith teachings on this one and, and Anyone, you know, a, a verse in the in the Holy Quran that that's driven my own sort of humanitarian ethos is that anyone save a life is like saving the life of whole whole of mankind. Now, that life may be irrespective of where it's coming from. You know, it's of great value that we play an important role. However, certainly observe the difference in in the way that um, Ukraine refugees 
were perceived and welcomed and uh, policy changes were brought into effect which enabled these which enabled us to demonstrate once again i think the ethos of what we're saying yet that society community with even its really challenging circumstances of um austerity and uh cost of living crisis we still have room in our hearts and in our homes for refugees when there is a demonstration of political will and i i'd never think that really that we economic circumstances are so bad that we can't really help anybody else and there was a clear distinction in which the way that ukraine refugees were welcomed as opposed to refugees from other um parts of the land especially in syria and i was reflecting the change in policy when the 2 year old child was washed upon the shore alan kurdi that marked i really hope and pray that it doesn't take a child being washed upon our shore to change policy uh, which embarrasses the nation Yes, there's a sense of embarrassment, but also I think in the Syria context, it was complicated. It was a complicated war. It was a civil war between different parties. And it wasn't as obvious, if you like, as the Russia-Ukrainian war, where there seems to be uh, a clearer dichotomy between the oppressor and the oppressed. And it was that moment, I think you're right, Jahangir, was that moment of the terrible image of that child being washed up on the shore and and that went around the world and it triggered this enormous wave of emotion and you know having worked in humanitarian aid for so many years it does take some images of a terrible earthquake in pakistan for example that comes around the world and then people react in an in- in- incredibly incredibly generous way i'm also hoping that we will tackle difficult issues you know i know we will because we haven't touched today on questions of capacity and I, and, and on another podcast we will but Let's take one of them, which is the actual processing. And I know it's a very difficult word, processing, but the handling of refugees. And I'm thinking this government's policy is to send some to Rwanda, right? And I know what your view is of that, and I know my view. um, But I want to ask about the point underneath it, which is, is there an argument that we should be processing refugees, assessing them uh, outside the UK. So in the the Ukraine, for example, I know that the Foreign Office set up desks in Poland, for example, to facilitate the move to the UK. So um, David Goodhart, one of our our commissioners, is very, is vociferous uh, in saying we do need to process refugees and the asylum, asylum process outside the UK because um, all these illegal uh, spontaneous arrivals are uh, hugely dangerous for the people concerned as well as uh, hugely difficult to handle on the shores of Kent. Do you understand that? I think we come back to the fundamental point, Ed. There has to be political will. We have to frame an understanding that what we're talking about are human beings who are fleeing war and conflict. And whatever is the best and most productive or most humane way of administering the system, I think we have a rich history of having demonstrated the ability to be able to do that. Now, what's the best way to do that in this current set of circumstances? Well, we're going to embark upon that conversation. What the experts around the table um, with their various views at the local level, what that means. Now, we know at the moment, accommodation, housing, hotels, and the likes within the UK 
is a really problematic system. I was involved with the when the Afghan refugees uh, arrived after the change administration. And that was a really challenging one to ensure that the administration process worked. However, um, and we'll be unpacking some of this. Other countries in Europe have done this, uh, United States and Canada. So there's lots of learning le- examples. So my hope is that we actually are able to put forward something that will make a tangible difference, that it's not a paper that gets put to one side and it's something that's great to quote from. I really think if we can put together something that makes a policy difference, you know, there are some really obvious things that I would like us to be able to talk about and to be maybe move forward, which is around asylum seekers who are currently um, in hotels around the country. They are often in the asylum system for you know, one to three years, and they're not allowed to work and they live on eight pounds a week. I wonder whether we can move on from, um, if you like, public perceptions. You're one of the commissioners. You've been at the heart of the uh, the launch in, in Birmingham, where we've engaged with uh, politicians and we've engaged with uh, refugees and we've engaged with uh, um, those agencies working in the area. And we're doing that all around the country, uh, in not just in Birmingham, but in Newcastle, in Glasgow, in Greater Manchester, in Cardiff, in London, uh, as well as national hearings. And, dear listener, we will be issuing a call for evidence which you'll hear more about just at the end. But Jahanga, how hopeful are you that the Commission can actually make a practical difference? Because one of the things I'm excited about is we've brought together these conflicting views. You know, we've brought together the advocates, the agencies, English Refugee Council, Scottish Refugee Council. We have it co-produced with refugees from Rwanda uh, and other parts of the world. We have pretty diverse political opinion. And over the next 18 months, we'll be sharing uh, the views of other commissioners than yourself. But what's your hope? What do you want from this commission? Very much hoping that we can have a safe space in which that we can have divergent views come to the table and that we can have a, hate to use this word, Ed, but a mature conversation an honest conversation, an open conversation, a conversation which does not have to have headline-grabbing sensationalization of a really tough debate uh, of a tough issue, but that we can have it around the table in a way that will enable us to hear the views of lived experience. So I'm really hopeful and... um, hopeful that we will be able to facilitate, convene, conversation, have rich input of lived experiences and not one stating that which side of the camp are you in? Are you against or for refugees and asylums? And I don't think it is an against and for refugees. It is a ever-present reality that's not changing. And so therefore, we're hoping as commissioners and as a part of the commission that will enable time, space, for having these conversations. There's so much more to discuss, but our time is up. The Commission for the Integration of Refugees will be continuing its work until the end of next year, and I expect we'll be hearing more about that. You can follow its progress on the Commission website, which is refugeeintegrationuk.com. And if you fancy, dear listener, please respond to the call for evidence, which is being issued next month. Many thanks to my guests, Jahangir Malik and Janice Lopatkin, and good luck with your work. And thanks to you too for listening. If you enjoyed the show, and I hope you did, 
You might want to browse our archive of podcasts, which includes a fascinating discussion about the meaning of sanctuary. And feel free to check out other podcasts from the Wolf Institute or from our friends at The Naked Scientists. I'll be back next week with some more guests. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.